You're listening to episode 37 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. On this show, we talk a lot about ways on how to grow personally and professionally, and this week, we're adding another layer to it by talking about personality types. Margie Bush of Wisdom Tree Coaching is this week's expert. Before I introduce you to Margie, there is a quick announcement that I wanted to share. I was recently featured as a guest on the HR Oxygen podcast. If you're a busy HR professional or know someone who is, definitely check out this podcast. In my episode, we discuss how mindfulness can positively impact your performance and lower your stress. HR Oxygen is available on all of your favorite podcast apps. Speaking of podcast apps, have you had a chance to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast? Remember that your reviews and ratings help others find the show. If you head over to the mindbizlife.com website, you can also subscribe to get the podcast delivered straight to your inbox each and every single week. Okay, are you ready to meet Margie and dive into all things personality types? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to the show. This week's guest and I were co-authors on the book, The Whole Professional. Now this book focused around the principles of developing spiritually, emotionally, physically, and intellectually. And I think part of being whole is really understanding your whole self. Margie Bush is an ICF certified coach and the president of Wisdom Tree Coaching. She's known as the Curiosity Coach. Margie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you join me. Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited as well because a big part of this show deals with personal and professional development. And I believe the more we know and understand about ourselves, the better. So Margie, this first question is a two-part question. The first being, will you break down what the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test is? And the second part, how do you use it in your business? Sure. Okay, so let's start first with the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is an assessment. So not a test. So Ooh. there are no right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, uh, there are no good or bad letters. Uh, none are more valuable than the other. They're all equally valuable. Um, So when we think about it as an assessment, we're taking this so that we can discover what our hardwired preferences are. And so these are things that are with us from the very beginning. And when we're going through the assessment, we, we take the assessment and we're forced to choose between words or phrases. And as we choose those, we're choosing which one we prefer. Even though we might use both of them, Mm. there's still that one that we're going to like just a little better than the other one. And the way I use it in my work, I use it uh, two different ways. I do coaching. So I do leadership coaching and I use it uh, as a beginning assessment for self-awareness for the client. And then I also use it with organizations for team building, uh, improving communication, uh, looking at leadership uh, behaviors. And sometimes we, I have used it with couples as well. Oh, interesting. So what, what really got you interested in this assessment? 
Okay, so what got me interested in this is I was working in as the director of HR in a law firm, and I, I was struggling and had been into the role for a few years, and I just couldn't figure out why I was becoming increasingly unhappy. Mm. And as I started to look at taking some assessments for myself for some self-awareness, I took this assessment, and what I found from my results is I had a real personality mismatch and also some values mismatch. So for me, uh, I have a preference for feelings, so very hard to terminate people and be consistent sometimes because I would make decisions. uh, I tried not to, but sometimes based more on someone's circumstances really than distributing fairness for all. And that got me into trouble a couple times. And also I'm creative and I like to think about the future and doing things new in different ways. And there's not a lot of room for creativity in compliance HR. It is what it is. So you have to follow the state and local and federal laws and there's not a lot of leeway there. So that's what got me into it. And I was not happy and decided to leave. And this was one of the first things I did. Uh, Two months after I left the job, I got certified using the assessment. And so I've been using it a lot uh, over the last five years. Wow. How many have you done on on estimates? (laughs) I've done hundreds. I've done hundreds of assessments and I've had groups anywhere from about 12 to 15 to I had up to 120 folks in one workshop. Wow. Wow. And how much, can you just break down the different categories within the assessment? I know that when you take the assessment, you get a four letter combination. Yes. What, what are those? Yes. So they're, um, it's in dichotomy. So they're actually in opposite preference pairs and there are four of those. And the first one is about our energy preferences, how we get our energy. And most people are familiar with these two preference pairs because we hear a lot about them in the media. So extroversion versus having a preference for introversion. And you'll notice I'm saying preference. So instead of thinking of it as someone is an extrovert or an introvert, we want to think of them as having a preference for that. We have access to all of these preferences. It's just that we have a preference for one over the other. The the next preference pair is how we gather our information. And that's either with the sensing or the intuition. So you would see that in your four-letter type, either with the S or the N. And the next one is our decision-making preference, and that's with thinking versus feeling, and that's represented with the T or the F. And then the last one is how we deal with our priorities. And sometimes that's referred to as just dealing with our outer world, and that's either with judging or perceiving, and that's represented by the J or the P in the four-letter type, and that's not judgment. Uh, it's just judging, and it's a, a p- particular way that we deal with priorities. How many different possible four-letter combinations are there? When all the letters are combined in all the possible ways, there are 16 different personality types. Wow. Wow. Now, I took the MBTI in high school and then again in college, and my letters significantly changed between that time. Does that happen often to people? And if so, why is that? 
Yes, sometimes it does. So a lot of things can happen. When you're given the assessment, you should be given very specific instructions and how to take it. So I find sometimes those that took it in high school, either they just weren't ready or didn't get the instructions quite the specific way that they should have. And what happens is if you're not taking it as you're hardwired and how you prefer to be, your letters will not come out as your best fit type. Mm. So what I mean by that is sometimes when they're, they're answering either or choosing between the words or the phrases, they'll flip their mindset. So they'll think, oh, I really would like to be like this. So they choose that one. Or I hope my teacher sees me like this. So they might start to choose them that way rather than this is just me and, and that's okay. And who I am. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I do feel in high school, I, I didn't really know myself on the level as I did even four or five years from the first time I'd taken the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could definitely see at the time in high school, because I didn't know myself as well, I was probably that person who was choosing answers based off the person I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I could yeah. definitely see how that changes. So if yeah. I were to tell you that today my letters were INFJ, what does that say to you about me? Well, First of all, I would say that that tells me that you have the same personality preferences that I have. Really? (laughs) Awesome. Yes. So I do. I have preferences for INFJ as well. And the first thing I can tell you about that is we are the lowest represented uh, in the population. And those are global numbers now to be just in the United States. So Uh, So for us, um, in general, uh, we seek meaning and connection and ideas, relationships. We uh, want to understand what motivates people, and uh, we're committed to values. We have a clear vision about how best to serve the common good. And um, I would say that uh, tapping into that J... um, we have a, a structured, methodical way of dealing with our priorities. Mm. Um, so, and that, you know, kind of tells me a lot about why you're doing what you're doing now. Yeah. Is that you do uh, want to understand what motivates people and then do what you can for them to inspire them. Well, and now it makes a lot of sense to me too that that you are the same personality type when you were talking about um, your job in the HR office. Mm-hmm. When I was working for um, a corporate company, I had so I, I felt like I was always getting in trouble, but I wasn't a troublemaker. <laughs> I was just doing things, you know. Like my creative brain wanted to work one way, but there is, you know, I, well, I was on Twitter, so sometimes I'd get really creative with my hashtags, and then they, Ford would come back and be like, "No, no, no, you can't use that hashtag." And it's like, what? It was great, but you know, little things really made me feel like I was in a cage almost. I couldn't be Mm -hmm. my full self. Yeah, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, man. (laughs) I know for me, a big annoyance is when people, uh, you know, seem to be last minute. This is Uh actually describes almost everyone in my family. Um, So is this a personality (laughs) type as well? (laughs) Yes, yes. So that is uh, referring to, again, that how we deal with priorities. So for you and I, we tend to, we have a general organizational style and and that's be prepared. And typically we don't like surprises. 
we're, we're planful. Our plans are structured. Uh, we're early starters. Mm. Uh, so we, you know, like to avoid that last minute rush. Uh, we have routines and lists and, and we somewhat control our time. And we tend to, to be organized and chunk things out. And so when you're thinking about the perceiving, again, these are opposite preference pairs. So they come at things uh, in a casual way. They like surprises. They're open-ended. So where we're, we're future-focused and working a plan, they're present-focused. And they do their, their planning more spur of the moment. And they're pressure-prompted, which means they're motivated by deadlines. And so this is when they start to get their spurts of energy. They like freedom and variety. And they oftentimes appear to be ad-libbing things. So flying by the seat of their pants. And that can be, you know, annoying at personally and professionally when you, you've got those opposite types. And so what I hear when I'm working with, with groups and teams and, and even private clients is that comes out I can't stand it when someone is so last minute or it's the opposite. I'm hearing people tell me there it's this repetitive theme that I'm so last minute. I don't understand. It's just how I like to do things. Yeah. And again, there's no right or wrong. It's just a different approach and learning to, we can't change it because we're hardwired that way, but we can learn to manage it. Yeah. Just thinking about that gives me an anxiety attack. (laughs) (laughs) A trip is on a Friday. I'm packed on Monday. (laughs) I'm double checking my list six times to make sure I have everything crossed off and in that bag. (laughs) Whereas someone else might be like, oh, my trip's on Friday. Friday morning, I'm going to pack my bag and just hope it's all there. (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) how do you manage? I know that's funny, Lauren, that you say that because last night I've been wanting to get a vacation plan with my oldest son, uh, who happens to have my two granddaughters that I adore. And so I'm texting him last night, like, let's get a plan. Let's get a plan. And he's like, it's not till July. I've never planned a vacation this early. <laughs> but I need a plan. <laughs> I need to get books and, you know, at least where we're going so I can book my tickets, you know, start... Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole thing. Your mind is like, I have to do this and then that and then that and that. And it's sometimes exhausting. It's some, I sometimes exhaust myself thinking yes. that way. And I have to be more mindful to just live in the moment sometimes as I'm yes. sure you do as well. Yes, I do. I, and I get reminded of that. <laughs> yes. And it's not easy, but you, you know, sometimes you do have to slow down and be like, right. And I, I also, maybe this is part of that personality type of just surrendering to certain things that you can't uh-huh. control. Yes. Yeah. So let's take another scenario. We'll have a married couple. We'll we'll call them George and Linda. All right. George is always looking at cost effectiveness and bottom line when it comes to researching anything. So whether it's a trip or furniture, whatever. Mm -hmm. Linda focuses on the what if possibilities and not the cost. Mm -hmm. What are the main differences in their personalities and behaviors? Okay. Well, George and Linda sound a lot like my husband and I. (laughs) So what I, I'm sensing here and picking up with George is that he probably has that preference for sensing, where when he is researching and gathering this information, it's grounded in reality. So he's looking for the facts and the details, and he's using things in, in a more realistic way, looking for efficiency or cost effectiveness. And 
what happens typically with that sensing is they tend to stick with what works. So not open to a lot of change. So when you were talking, I believe you mentioned a trip and some furniture. If, if the furniture is practical and it's working and it seems logical to keep it, it's going to take a lot of convincing from Linda uh, to get him to want to get some new furniture. Right. So thinking about Linda with that what if, she sounds a lot like me. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what if we bought some new furniture? What if we took a trip? And this is you and I. And, and so we're, we're thinking about it from a different way. So we're looking at the future and some unique way to make the room look or a unique trip to take. Mm. And so that's a very different or they're opposite ways of gathering information. So if Linda wants to convince George to get the furniture, it, she would need to come at him. And we call this flexing in tight and flex over and present the information to him in his preferred way first, still staying true to herself, but coming at it and saying, okay, so I'd like to redo, uh, my husband and I just redid a living room. I mean, a bedroom, I'm sorry. So coming at my husband in a way that Linda could do this with George, okay, so here, here's the, the facts. Uh, here's the bottom line. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's a good reason to make the change. You know, he's looking for something bottom line. So if we make this change and we happen to show the house, you know, in, in three years, this room's going to look like, the bedroom that would be more attractive and it might increase our selling price by 2%. That's the kind of information they like. Hit them with the cold facts right there. It can't be argued. (laughs) Which we don't like to do. It's just that it can make the conversation go a little smoother if we can just flex over a little bit Mm. and give it to them in the way they like to receive their information. How might George have to approach Linda for something then? Yes. So what he would want to do is think more in the future. Well, Linda, I've been looking at the bedroom and I'm thinking that, you know, you're right. We should, should take a look at replacing the furniture. It's kind of looking like a part office, part bedroom, part storage room. And we really need to, yeah. So he's making connections and patterns and Mm. he's focusing more on the possibilities of the room and the creativity, which Linda's going to love. Right. Oh yeah. Give us that creativity. (laughs) Linda will love it all day. I kind of want to backtrack for one second because Mm -hmm. we touched on this in the beginning. We introversion, extroversion. Yes. A lot of people, when I tell them that I'm an introvert, they, they, you know, their eyes like bulge out of their head. Like, what? You are not. You're like, you're so outgoing and friendly. There seems to be this stigma around introversion that we just sit inside all day with like a cat on our lap and like, don't talk to anyone. But that's not the case. Can you kind of clear up the confusion of what extroversion is and introversion and how they're different? Yes, yes. So again, they are preferences. And so when we look at um, this preference for introversion, in general, uh, and you and I both have this preference, in general, we do, uh, we're on the receiving end, and we wait to be included into things and be introduced. Um, 
We uh, can appear uh, sometimes like that, hard to get to know. We stay inside and we keep our feelings to ourselves. And we tend to like to work one-on-one or in small groups and have just a few close connections. Mm-hmm. And, and all of that's okay. It's just that we can, again, use the other anytime we want. And you and I need to do that in our work. Yes. If we want to work and, and grow and help others uh, develop, then we need to flex over. And so we can do that. We can, we can talk. <laughs> we can get up in front of groups. You can do your podcast. We can have, you know, face-to-face conversations. Remember, this one is about our energy. Mm-hmm. So for that preference for introversion, it's not that they're backward or they're shy or they, you know, want to stay in with the cat on their lap. What it's really more about is they can go out and do those things. It just takes more of their energy. Yes. So they might, we might prepare for that. When I'm going to go on a coaching call, I take a few minutes before, and this might sound weird, but I I just prayerfully kind of get myself in in that mindset. I'm going to be on the phone for an hour and we're going to, usually I do most of the listening and I ask a few questions, but I'm going to be in a conversation with someone. And so I manage my energy. I put space between the calls. If I'm doing a workshop, I make sure I get to bed the night before early. I take some time for myself and have that extra cup of coffee or tea or whatever in the morning before I get started. So again, just thinking about it from an energy perspective and not so much from the the place where we just want to stay and hide because that's not necessarily the case. I guess that would also go into how we recharge that energy too. Yes. So for me, I can do the podcast. I can yes. go out and do workshops, but when I'm done, I want to go back home and I, <laughs> and I need to chill out for a little bit. And most of the time that's alone time. Now my family, if they're around, it's not, you know, I'll say as annoying to me you know, to read <laughs> or as difficult <laughs> to recharge my energy, but definitely the alone time is really how I recharge. Um, yes. So how do extroverts kind of, I mean, I feel, do they just have more energy and it's not as drained from them or or how would they recharge their energy? It's not, they get their energy really from the interaction, Mm. from the, the uh, face-to-face communications, from being on a team that that's the, the way they get their energy. I will tell you though, I don't think I've met one preference for extroversion that hasn't said to me there there's a limit and there is a time when I do need a little time to myself. They just need a lot less than the preference for in general. Yeah. I do prefer to be alone most of the time, which I, as, as a solopreneur, it works in my favor, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but it is great because when you do walk out and it's almost like you're stepping into a character sometimes, (laughs) you're stepping into a character. So when people meet you and you're like, Oh, you're so fun and bubbly. That's almost what they identify your personality as. Yeah. Well, I am very personable and I am easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. You are going to drain my energy. <laughs> you can take it <laughs> right out of me. Unless there's a converse, I do have conversations like this. The podcast, mm-hmm. it, actually, it recharges my energy in a way. I enjoy mm-hmm. having these conversations. It, they light me up. But mm-hmm. again, when I'm done, I'm going to go have a couple hours of silence after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So one last question I have for you. Okay. Why do you feel like knowing your personality type is beneficial to one's development? 
Okay. So knowing it first is now you have that self-awareness for mm-hmm. yourself. And so from the self-awareness, you may see some blind spots. And when you, we all know this, when we can get feedback and listen and see where maybe someone else is experiencing us in a way that we're, we, we really don't want them to experience us, then we can take a step back and look at that and say, okay, what are some things I can do here to better manage my preferences? Mm-hmm. And so when we have that self-management of ourselves, then we're more open to finding out more about somebody else's preferences, perhaps. Okay, so, you know, I'm showing up for you and you feel like that um, I, I'm contained. I'm a little hard to get to know. And so what I can say to them is, yeah, I'm picking up on you are a little different than me. So you tend to come a lot face to face. So we can take that piece of information and learn to work better with each other. Mm. That's so, so Yeah. And, and I assume if you do this with a group, um, mm-hmm. is let's say it's a workplace, would a boss then be able to better manage their team when they know the different types of personalities within their team? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yes. If, if the boss is open to that discovery, what a lot of things happen when I have a team of people. So, you know, when you ask me about the potential um, ways that the letters can be combined and how many personality preferences are there, uh, or four-letter types are there, there are 16. And so I set that up, and we talk about it as being in a 16-room house mm. and, and not in boxes, or we're not putting you in here because you can go out and use the others anytime you want. But what a boss can see from that 16-room house is, okay, here's my team, and here's how it's distributed. And there could be blind spots on the team. Perhaps we have a lot of people with the preference for extroversion and maybe two with introversion. So this is helpful information for managing his team or her team. Uh, If he has or she has someone that's last minute and and that boss happens to be like us, Lauren, then knowing that (laughs) this isn't to annoy me as the boss, (laughs) that's how this person's hardwired. And so managing that as a boss and appreciating that, because, you know, sometimes I find this, I won't speak for you, but for me, I can be so planful that I miss things sometimes. Yeah, because I get too far ahead of myself and I'm not open to letting some things, you know, just evolve. Right. Yeah, I, I also feel as a boss, too, it would be easier Oh, we know that Sally's last minute. So it's almost like you're not putting an expectation on Sally mm-hmm. to get it turned in early mm-hmm. because you know Sally's not going to do it. So why set your set up yourself up for this expectation just to be disappointed when Sally does turn it in last minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which is if she's meeting the deadline, that's okay. That's is okay. That, right. That you set a deadline yeah. for a reason. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, I would want to be a couple of days before that deadline, but <laughs> well, Margie, I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you. Will you tell them how they can connect with you further? Of course. Yeah. So there's a couple ways. I'm on LinkedIn as Margie Bush, M-A-R-G-I. I also have a website. It is www.wisdomtreecoaching.com. 
com, And you can reach out to me. My uh, contact information is on my website as well. Uh, or you can email me, and that is Margie, M-A-R-G-I-B-U-S-H, at Collaborative Thinking, W-V, which is for West Virginia, dot com. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today, Margie. I love learning about the whole self, and your expertise on personality types has enlightened me today on so many levels. Thank you, Lauren. Human optimization and understanding why we work the way we do is beyond intriguing for me. If it is for you too, I encourage you to connect with Margie. Link to Margie's website and social channels are found on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. I'm back for another solo episode next Wednesday. You guys have asked for these, and while I'm not always comfortable going solo, I'm stepping in and embracing it. Until next week, remember... Every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.